0: We go through this. Being such a small book, yet it's a very powerful book. It's filled with strong doctrinal teaching. Next to the book of Romans, this is Paul's strongest doctrinal book. Its teachings are uh, straight down the line and, and very straightforward for those that were listening, for the audience that he was trying to instruct. It's been called the Magna Carta of the early church. And uh, I would encourage you as we're going through this to at least take some notes or mark some things in the margin of your Bible. Try and get some things that you can take away from this that you'll keep beyond the 6 or 10 or 12 weeks that we're going through this. Uh, You know, just take some notes and and keep things uh, readily at hand. Thomas Nelson said that in the whole of the Bible, there is no more passionate, comprehensive or concise statement Of the truth of the gospel than the book of Galatians. This book of Galatians, a compassionate, concise, uh, uh, comprehensive statement regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, you'll see that as we're going through this. J. Vernon McGee said, In a sense, I believe that this epistle has been the backbone of every uh, great spiritual movement and revival that has taken place in the past 1900 years. I would like to see and to hear the epistle of Galatians declared to America. I believe it would revolutionize lives. And uh, so this book, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next few weeks and declare this book, walk through it verse by verse, and glean what the Lord has for the people of Galatia, but not just them, for us and uh, so as it's going to be a little bit of a study, as we're going to be digging into it, I will be giving you, especially tonight, uh, by way of introduction, we're going to get a lot of information, hopefully not too much information overload and just bog you down. I don't want to get that. But first of all, we want to look at the area of Galatia where this uh, book was written to, where it was sent. Uh, this was a, a province, a Roman province that was kind of a, a region um, you know, like you might look at New York and people from New York uh, that aren't from New York. They you say New York and everybody thinks of New York City, uh, the actual the city. But New York, there's a lot more to New York than just the New York City. And so Galatia was an, uh, was a region. It was an area. It was uh, also a group of people. And so this was written to the churches that occupied that space. Um, the people that lived there were a group of ancient Gauls, which is where the name of Galatia comes from. The Gauls, they were very warlike. They were Celtic, uh, from Celtic tribes. They had migrated to that area, which today is modern Turkey. I did ask Pastor Gus to give me a couple of maps. Um, If he wanted to uh, stick that up there for me, you got a map on you. Um, I don't know where my laser pointer went. I thought it was in the pulpit here, Uh, but anyways, you can, uh, on this particular map, on the far right-hand side, in red is modern, the modern uh, borders and and titles and names. If uh, you got the book uh, that's on the maps that we ordered in the bookstore, that shows uh, the Bible times, and then you overlay the red on there, and that shows modern times. Uh, Well, up in the far right there, I don't know if you can see it, uh, but that is the area Of Galatia up in the far right there. It's titled underneath, it says Turkey. If you can see Turkey in red, uh, that's modern day Turkey, that region, and then Galatia is underneath that. So uh, on Paul's missionary journeys, um, it's very frustrating that my. uh, You have a laser? It's got to be pretty bright to be seen on that screen. Um, We'll try. Which one? The, the, I pushed the dot for it to come on. It comes on the wall, but yeah, it's not, it, it, you can't see it on the screen. Um, so here I'll use this flag. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, Paul's missionary journeys, you know, he took three missionary journeys which covered this, this region. And, uh, you know, he, he traveled up through Galatia, up on the far side there, and then came back along the coast. Uh, right in here, you see Ephesus. And uh, Pergurnium and Smyrna, uh, this Petra, Colossae, uh, Thyatira, Perga. You should be recognizing those names if you've read the Bible through much. Those names should be coming. So those were cities that he hit on his journeys. Well, then he was over here, and it's believed in uh, Corinth, uh, that, which is down here in the bottom. Right above my hand here is Corinth. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so it's believed he was in Corinth and writing back to Galatia and sent the letter back to that region of those, those people there. Um, so that just gives you a little bit of visual of, of what it is and what happened. Uh, you know, there is some debate about timing and all this, but Galatia, Galatia means country of the Gauls. Uh, the Gauls were charged to uh, be given to change their, their temperament as they were Celtic people. Uh, if you know anything about the Celtic people and their, their history, uh, you know, they were very impulsive. They were very quick to argue and to fight. Uh, they were vehement in their feelings and, and, like, what they felt, they felt strongly, whatever it might have been. This is their nature. They were very quarrelsome. Caesar said of the Galatian people, the infirmity of the Gauls is that they are fickle in their resolve, they're fond of changed and not to be trusted. So that's what that's what Caesar said of that group of people that occupied that region. And as we get into the book of Galatians, some of the things that uh, Paul deals with It'll make sense why he's dealing with that when you're talking about a group of people that are given to quarrel, a group of people that are given to change, a group of people that are fickle in their commitments. And uh, so Paul deals with some things that address, addresses that. Now, he dealt with the Gauls and uh, that nature because in the book of Acts, verses 14 11, we see that this group of people were calling him God. And then the next day or later that evening, actually, they were talking about stoning him. So they changed their mind pretty quick. Uh, They adjusted their thoughts and how they felt with regards to him pretty quick. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says, they were not a whole lot unlike Americans. We are truly fickle in our resolve, uh, and we are very fond of change, always wanting something new. And then you'll see a man runs for office. We vote him in, and then a couple of years later, we're like, let's get rid of that guy. And uh, we, we change. He says the, the Gauls were, Americans were not a whole lot different than the Gauls in some of these natures uh, of being a little bit fickle and given to change and, and wanting to have something new and not too uh, much resolve in our commitment for different things. But the, the Gaul people migrated there 250 years before Christ was born, uh, somewhere around uh, 278 B.C. And uh, they ruled themselves it had their own kind of rule, private, uh, their own, you know, they had their own, whether they were subject to a king somewhere, and they, but they had their own rule and leadership in that area. And so they were kind of isolated from other things around until they were absorbed by uh, Rome and became a Roman province in 189 B.C. So this area that had gone through lots of change, it was highly influenced by Greek culture, which, again, affects what's being dealt with in the book. We're talking about a group of people that love intellectualism. They enjoy higher learning. They enjoy learning new things and and diving into something and maybe a little bit too quick to dive into something new uh, without testing it to see if it be of God. And uh, we'll see how that's addressed. The capital of Galatia is what is today the capital of Turkey. Ankara, which it's up there on the far right-hand side, it is in red. Uh, that is the capital of Turkey today, and that was the capital of Galatia. The churches of Galatia um, were a number of cities that Paul had reached himself, or maybe that he had, had visited, because on all three of his missionary journeys, he went through that region in different places, and uh, so impacted and touched many, many lives during that time. And he's writing back to them. Uh, to communicate truth to them about what he had heard and and trying to help them be resettled in their beliefs with regards specifically to salvation. Now, we want to see secondly here, not only the area that uh, this is written to, but the address. What was it that he was addressing? What issue was he getting to? What was he dealing with? We see this book has six chapters, 149 verses, 3,098 words in uh, not a whole lot in the grand scheme of things with regards to the, the scope of Scripture as a whole, but definitely some powerful truths. You want to make a note of this. The key verse for the book of Galatians is Galatians 2.16. He says in Galatians 2.16, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That sums up the message and the conflict that was taking place in this region and with these believers, the, uh, which we'll dig into and get into a little bit more as we move on here. But that's why that's the key verse, because it addresses the main issue that was being dealt with. The key word in the book of Galatians is liberty. Liberty. Uh, it appears, Liberty appears more times in the book of Galatians than anywhere else in the New Testament. Uh, and uh, we know that Christ is our liberator. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4. He says there, "...who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father." You see, he gave himself for our sins. He delivered us from this present world. He liberated us from the bondage of sin and from the bondage of the law, which is very important in light of the text, which we're going to get into as we study and learn about verse, we go verse by verse through this. But he was the liberator. Jesus Christ was and we are to stand fast in our liberty galatians chapter 5 verse number 1 he says stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith christ hath made us free again paul exhorting and encouraging these believers who are a little bit fickle a little bit given to change a little bit to be all excited about this new thing right now and then and then all of a sudden they they're not so excited about that and they're excited about this over here but this is not biblical it's not doctrinally correct it's not right they just got excited about a new thing we shouldn't be given to change tossed to and throw by every wind of doctrine uh, we're, we're to be uh, stand fast what in the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ and that's going to make a lot of sense as we get into this even further can I give you briefly an outline this is an outline from uh, Wearsby now I know I'm flying Are you guys doing all right We're we're okay. It's a lot of information. I know this is kind of, we're laying the groundwork. We're laying the groundwork for a study of this book. And uh, by having this groundwork, it'll allow us to adequately understand the context and the message that he's giving as we go through it verse by verse. But Wearsby broke this book up like this. I could have given you a number of different outlines from different people, uh, and we'll use our own outline as we walk through it. But uh, just I'm going to break it up into three things. So you have personal. Grace and the Gospel, chapters 1 and 2. This is personal. You know, Paul introduces himself and he gets a little bit personal and talks to them. So, personal, Grace and the Gospel, chapters 1 and 2. And then, chapters 3 and 4 is doctrinal. This is Grace and the Law, dealing with Grace and the Law. So, 1 and 2 is personal, Grace and the Gospel. Uh, 3 and 4 is doctrinal, Grace and the Law. And 5 and 6 is practical grace and the Christian life. Um, anybody know what is found in Galatians chapter 5? Yeah, you said, it, you said it. You were right. A little hesitant, but you are right. The fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that practical, I mean, what could be more practical for the Christian life than, than that? Uh, and, and evident and needed uh, for believers. And looking forward to getting into that in some weeks ahead. Um, but that's a basic outline of the book. The theme of the book is seen in our, in our key verse, but the theme of the book is justification by faith. Justification by faith. Obviously, that could be continued in Christ alone, uh, him and nothing else. But we're justified by faith and nothing else. You know, man, for some reason, loves to mix works into salvation. Man enjoys, there's so many segments and breakoffs offs of different beliefs and, and all of them, there's really only two Gospels. There's a Gospel that is 100% provided by, paid for, and completed in Jesus Christ, and then there's a Gospel that has many other different levels of personal sacrifice or work or involvement that's needed uh, in order to attain or, ch- or to keep or to maintain your, your salvation. And, and so the theme of this book is justification by faith in Christ alone. Nobody else, nothing else is needed. And he tries to really teach them of that and ground them at. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 4, he says, And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us unto bondage. He says they came in and they saw the liberty that you have in Christ. Again, that key word there, the liberty we have in Christ. And he says, they came in and that they might bring us back into bondage. So this area that we saw on the map, there was a hodgepodge of people. Obviously, we had uh, a very strong Greek influence uh, because of their proximity to Greece. And then you had the Gauls who first uh, took over that area. And then you had a strong Jewish presence that had moved in uh, because it was a strong trade route and there was opportunity for gain. And so a strong Jewish presence was there. Well, that Jewish presence came up and they began to, they would be Judaizers and they began to try and tell people that believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that, hey, that's all well and good, but if you truly want to maintain or keep or attain salvation, you've got to keep the law. And they tried to put them back under the law, which God came to free them from. And so they, they, were, they were, oh, okay. And so they were all getting into this, which we'll see clearly as we get into it. But he says, hey, they want to put you under bondage again, but we're not supposed to be under bondage because we have liberty in Jesus Christ. This book stands against legalism, which you know is a term that's thrown around a lot today. And they, they like to use, uh, they call, you know, Anybody that has any particular kind of stand against anything, a legalist. And, and that's not a correct term. A legalist is somebody that adds something to salvation. Well, salvation is by faith in Christ and Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And, and you know, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's all it is. And, but God teaches some things that we as Christians should be doing. And uh, out of love for him and to honor and respect him, we try our best to follow his teachings, his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. OK, that's that's so we don't we don't obey and follow and keep the commandments of God because we're in danger of losing our salvation or because that's what we need to attain it. We do it because we love him because he first loved us. And uh, so that's what it is, but this book stands very strongly against legalism. Beloved, instead of commanding wicked man to do something, grace tells man that it has already been done. The law kept man in bondage, but grace sets men free. Schofield said this, Instead of looking for good men whom it may approve, grace is looking for condemned men guilty men, speechless, helpless men, who it may save, sanctify, and glorify. That is the work of grace. Grace, that's what it's doing. It's looking for guilty men who have no hope, who cannot save themselves, who could never attain salvation on their own. And that's all of us, by the way. We need grace, and uh, it works to save, sanctify, and glorify each and every one of us. That's the theme, the message of the book. Uh, this book is strong in doctrine, uh, as we said, uh, and its teaching played a very important role in the life of some very well-known characters in history. Uh, one of those is Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, this is my epistle. I'm wedded to it. You know, uh, Martin Luther in his 95 Thesis on the Wall and his statement of the just shall live by faith. It was rooted in a strong and, uh, understanding of what this book teaches the book of Galatians. He said, this is my book and I'm wedded to it. It was also John Wesley's uh, favorite book. And, uh, you know, John Wesley uh, went over to, uh, came to America to save the native Indians. And when he got here, he says, I came to save the Indians, but I wonder who's going to save John Wesley. And he had to go back to England and got saved and then grabbed an understanding of this and was used of God to begin to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to see many, many, many people come to the saving knowledge of Christ because of correctly preaching the truth. Um, we, of course, know that this book, being tied with Luther, was uh, instrumental in the coming about and movement of the Protestant Reformation, uh, which you know is a group of lar- large groups of people that ended up leaving the darkness of Catholicism. Uh, because they found the truth of the Word of God. And uh, I'm going to tell you it was written around circa 57 AD. Uh, it really, th- there there's some books that they really can't nail down because it doesn't give enough detail in the book uh, for them to know 100% where Paul was. And it, it really depends on which missionary journey he was in when he was writing that book back to Galatia, and if it was in his first missionary journey, or if it was in his third missionary journey, some believe because of the tone of the language of the book, it was probably in his third. Many people lean towards that, which puts it around 57. But I've seen uh, in my study uh, anywhere from 40 to 60. So anywhere in there. But you know what? Ultimately, exactly when it was written doesn't doesn't change the fact that it was written. And it was written back to this group of churches. And uh, we believe inspired by God and for us today. Amen? Amen. So it does not deal with conduct as much as it does with doctrine. Next to the book of Romans, this is the most doctrinal book of Paul's writings. As I said in the introduction, Dr. Uh, Wilmington said, this parallels, the, I'm sorry, the parallels between Galatians and Romans is striking. Galatians is a rough sketch of which Romans is the finished picture. So the, the level of doctrine that you have in the book of Romans, and Romans obviously a very strong doctrinal book, well, Galatians gives you kind of a picture uh, of that, a, a sketch of that, and he says Romans is the completion of that. J. Vernon McGee said this, "...it does not correct conduct, as the Corinthian letters do, but it is corrective. The foundations were being attacked." This epistle contains no word of commendation, no praise, no thanksgiving. There was no request for prayer. No one with him is mentioned by name. The heart of Paul, the apostle, is laid bare here. There is a deep emotion and a strong feeling. This is his fighting epistle. He has his war paint on. He has no tolerance for legalism. Someone said Romans comes from the head of Paul and Galatians came from the heart of Paul. Giving you a picture of the tone of the book that this book was written and Paul was being very direct and very serious and hey, this is a problem it needs to be dealt with. Why? Because it's the foundation of what we believe as Christians. It's the foundation of man's salvation and if, if they're off on that, then they're off on the most important thing for life. Not just this life, but eternal life. It is literally the foundation of their faith. In Galatians chapter 1, if you're there, look down at verse number 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. This is the, 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 the foundation of the truth of, of the gospel was under attack. He says here, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there is some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that which is we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said before, so say I now again, if a man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. And that word there, accursed, is. Quite literally, uh, uh, like an anathema, it means uh, cut off. It means uh, sent or, or doomed to an eternity in hell. It means accursed. It means permanently. He says, hey, if they're going to preach a gospel that's going to send people to hell, then that's where they need to go. They, they are pulling people away by tying other things to this truth that should not be perverted. And we, this group of Galatian people, uh, were readily receptive of the truth. And it's exciting. There's nothing more thrilling when you go out and present the truth of the gospel and there's somebody there that's ready to hear it. And uh, I remember as a young man going out in uh, Mexico, we would go and, I mean, you could take, we, we, driving down the bus, uh, and you could take handfuls, this big a handfuls of tracks, and just throw them out the window like that. And people from all over the streets would come up, and, and every, every track would be picked up. I mean, the, the hunger and thirst for the Word of God back then in the early 80s, up in Mexico, we would go and hold, uh, hold meetings, and, and large groups, hundreds and hundreds of people would come from the villages, walking miles and miles to hear a presentation of the truth of the gospel. I mean, that's exciting, and I could see Paul ministering in this area, uh, carrying what people thought was a message just for the Jews, and now he's bringing it to the Gentiles, and he's saying, No, Christ came for all men, and he loved, and he died, and gave himself for you. You too can be free from the bondage of law and sin. And boy, people ate up the message. They heard the gospel, and they trusted Christ. And then Paul goes down the road a little bit and then he hears about these Judaizers coming in and telling them, hey, you got to believe this or else you're going to lose your salvation. And Paul wasn't having it. He said, no, if anybody gives you any other gospel, don't believe that. Even if I give you a different gospel, don't believe that. If an angel from heaven comes and gives you a different gospel, don't believe that. Because this is the only true gospel. He's very clear with them. The peril, beloved, of us giving wrong information is illustrated in a story that's told by H.A. Ironside. Ironside tells a true story that he was privy to about a lady who was pretty frail and feeble and she was carrying with her on, on this trip a small infant child. She was on a train and the train was traveling very slow because it, the uh, the snow ice actually it was, it was sleeting Uh, and making the tracks bad. And so they actually had to have a a plow travel in front of the train to try and clean the tracks so that they could move and go where they're going to go. And this lady was going to a place she had never been and was very nervous and apprehensive about the trip and traveling by herself and carrying this infant child. And, And she asked the conductor, she said, sir, when we get to my stop, would you please tell me because I'm not I'm not positive what it is, and and the conductor said, "Don't worry, I'll I'll take care of you. You just relax right here, and and you'll be fine." They, they they traveled on for a while longer, and she's just kind of so apprehensive and so nervous about it. The conductor walking through there again, she just stopped him. Hey, you didn't forget about me, did you? You're gonna make sure I get off at the right stop, and he says, "Oh, I'll I'll make sure. I'm gonna. I'll, don't worry about it. I'll come and get you when it's time for you to get off," and a businessman who was sitting across the way saw how nervous this lady was and wanted to have some compassion on her. He leaned over and he says, hey, ma'am, listen, I I travel this route all the time. I I know where we are. And uh, listen, the conductor, he's very, very busy. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate. He might get distracted, but listen, you don't have to worry. I'll let you know when it's time to get off. If the conductor doesn't come, I'll tell you so you can relax. And so she feeling a little bit of, calm because he was right here and he was with her and he said he knew the, the 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 train very very well and they traveled for a while longer and then all all of a sudden uh they over the uh you know conductor came through or uh, somebody came through and was like hey uh next next stop is going to be this this location where she was supposed to get off and the man the man says hey that's your stop you know the businessman he looked at her said that's your stop and uh, so the next stop's going to be for you. OK, but don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. And uh, I'm sure the conductor, he, he may very well forget. He's got a lot on his mind. And, uh, but don't worry about it. I'll help you get off. So they traveled on for a little while longer and the train came to a stop. And this man looked over at her and he says, hey, you see, the conductor is nowhere around. I, I told you he might forget, but don't worry, I'll help you out. And uh, he got her luggage and, and went down and opened the train door and set their luggage out and then uh, held the baby and, and helped her get down out of the train and then gave the baby to her and got back up in the train and closed the door. A couple minutes later, the train started moving again. Went down the, tra- went down the track a little while longer. Don't know the time frame, but uh, ultimately they pulled into a station. And the conductor came up and says, where's, where's the lady that was sitting here with the baby? And he says, oh, you forgot about her. So I helped her off. He says, you helped her off? Where? He said, at the last station. He said, what last station? He said, at the last stop we did a little while ago. He said, that's not a stop. We had to stop for the snowplow. The snowplow got stuck. You helped this lady with the baby off and got her off of the train in the middle of nowhere on a rain when it's, in a night when it's sleeting and snowing and she's going to freeze. There was nothing they could do, but they had to stop the train and, and try and back up and not knowing exactly where they were on the track that night where they just stopped for an emergency stop. They, they, they tried to find where they stopped and, and ultimately found what they believed to be the spot and then they put people out searching like, along the track and in, in that region. It took a while, but ultimately they did find her laying dead in the, in the snow and her baby dead. What Dr. Ironside says is if giving wrong information can be so critical and so important for a temporal thing where somebody would lose their life, how much more important is it that people have the right information when we're talking about something eternal The difference of somebody spending eternity in a place called hell where they'll burn forever and ever. And they'll spend an eternity in a place called heaven where they can know love and joy and peace and and be with Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Beloved, it's so vitally important. And that's why Paul was so adamant. And that's why Paul was so direct. And that's why he's saying, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. And I can tell you today, Christian, that there is a lot of false gospel going on. There's a lot of false gospel out there on YouTube. There's a lot of false gospel out there that you can get a hold of and listen to and and absorb and take in. But listen, we need to listen to and be tuned into the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him alone. I want you to see, lastly this evening, the Apostle. We see in verse number 1 and 2, an introductory to the book. We'll look at these tonight as we talk about this man, Paul, <clears throat> he says here, Paul, the apostle, not of men, neither of man, but uh, by Jesus Christ, the God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Paul gives a very brief introduction here. You know, in our uh, to, to today, we address letters and, and we're, we're very formal. And it's, uh, you know, dear Trudy. I mean, that's our introduction, just dear Trudy. And then we sign our name on the end of the letter. But if you've read many of Paul's letters, you know that they usually will, in the very front of the letter, give a... Pretty good introduction. They sometimes will say hi to different people that are in the region, sometimes mention others, say some well wishes to so-and-so. He's just introducing. He's not even getting to his point of writing yet. He's kind of more of like his salutation. It could be several verses long. And then he'll say who who it is that's writing. And that kind of traditionally in this time period was all handled in the front of the letter, introducing yourself, uh, you know, dealing with some pleasantries and then getting to the heart of the matter after the fact. Well, Paul is pretty short here, pretty uh, brief. Uh, Some people uh, have used the term curt uh, because he was a little perturbed about what was going on. And he said, listen, I'm not going to waste time with uh, a bunch of uh, salutations and some nice flowery language. We're going to get right to the heart of this matter, which you see he does right away, as we, we read in verse number 6. But uh, he says, Paul, an apostle, and he uh, establishes right off his authority as an apostle because his authority was under attack, which we'll see more as we go through the book. But we know that it was written by by Paul. There's no question uh, about that he introduces himself there's a lot of things we know about Paul because we we have a lot of his books and a lot of his writings but we learn a couple of things here that I would like to know that are very important uh, for us today that we know about him I mean we know just from history we know that he was a tent maker uh, we know some other things about him we know he's a Roman citizen Uh, You know, these, these things about him we know, but there's three things that we see here in these two verses that are important for anybody that would be a minister. First, we see he was clear in his call. He was clear in his call. He said, Paul, an apostle. There was no question that it was a call of God upon his life. Look in verse number 15. He says, But when it pleased God who spared me From my mother's womb, and what's the last, what is that, six words there? And called me by his grace. He was called of God. He was clear in his call. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He knew, he says it right here, that it was not of men. It wasn't a call of men. It wasn't men that put him in this position. It was not of himself. He knew that he was nothing in himself. Now, tradition tells us that Paul was by stature a relatively small man, not necessarily a big, strapping, strong man as uh, you might expect when you think about Paul and his persecution of the Christians. He was just zealous, even though he was relatively small. Uh, He experienced many health problems in his life. It's believed that his thorn in the flesh... That he prayed thrice to be removed uh, was his eyesight. That he had struggling ability to see, and and so he asked God, "Lord, this would really help me if I could if I could see." And God said, "Hey, my grace is sufficient for thee. I'm not going to heal that problem. We're going to you're going to live with it. You're going to experience God's grace to be able to go through it." So he had his own struggles that he dealt with. He knew it wasn't him. He knew it was God. He knew he was. Uh, God-backed and God-empowered. Look at verses 11 and 12 of Galatians chapter 1. Verses 11 and 12, he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after me. For I neither received it of men, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, what I'm giving to you is not of myself, It's not of other men. This is directly from God. This is a revelation of God, and it's for you. He knew that he was to be an apostle. So he was clear in his call. Not only that, he was confident in his faith. He was confident in his faith. What I'm saying is he knew what he believed. He knew what he believed, and he knew why he believed it. You know, Paul, we know that he was Saul of Tarshish, at one point, he persecuted Christians. At one point, he was putting Christians in prison or putting Christians to death. But when he got saved on the road of Damascus, amen, he got saved. Right. And there was a change in his life. And beloved, that's what salvation should do. It should bring a change. It should bring a new desire in your heart. That desire should be present. Boy, I wish God would take all of the old desires away. I wish he would take that that pursuit of sin and that, that old flesh that we're still living with. I wish at salvation that would be gone. That would be a lot nicer. But we still have to battle with the flesh. And so you have to choose in and among yourself to, to follow after Christ. God's not going to just do it for you. You have to make that choice, but Paul made the choice. And he went 110% after God, just like he was going 110% against God when he was Saul of Tarsus. We know that he was a Jew, that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, that he knew Scriptures. I mean, God allowed him to write 14 of the 27 books that are in the New Testament. God gave him, uh, you know, tremendous wisdom. He was confident in his faith. He knew what he believed. If somebody would be a minister, they need to know what they believe. You need to be clear in your call. You need to be confident in your faith and... Thirdly, I want you to see he had a concern for his followers. He says there in verse number 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. He's writing this church, mentioning those that have been with him, fellow laborers. He had concern for them. That is evident here, but of course, bountifully evident as you look into the other epistles that he's written. And could I tell you tonight, beloved, that anyone who wishes to serve others who would be a minister must have these three things. We need men today that are God-called. Sadly, there are a lot of men in pulpits today that are not God-called. They chose to do it, they wanted to do it, they desired it, or Mama called them, or They kind of fell into it accidentally, whatever it might be. But it is a calling. I tell people that God has directed and led me in my life one step at a time. I didn't know at seven years old that I was going to be a preacher. I didn't know at 15 that I was going to pastor someday. God has led. Now some people, they know, you know, they're 15, 16, 17 in a missions conference. God settles in their heart. They're going to be a missionary. That's what God wants them to do. Or they're going to be a pastor. Or they, they know that God called them to do that. I I did not get that. The way God has led me in my life, every step of the way has been just one step. Just I know, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. and And I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. And I took that step and In uh, 1999, when I went into the ministry as an assistant pastor in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, the pastor called me and says, hey, I want you to come and be an assistant. And at that time I said, listen, I want you to know that I believe in the call. I believe you're God called and God calls you to not serve. Anybody can serve. We're all called to serve. We're all called to do whatever. But to fulfill the position of pastor, to lead a ministry, I believe it's God called. uh, To be a missionary, that kind of thing. I said, I just want you to know that in my life, I, I have not, I do not know of a time I can point to that I, I would say I'm called. But I can tell you that I want to serve the Lord. And if, if that's not a hindrance to you, then I would be willing to pray about it. And he said, well, it's not a hindrance to me. He says, why don't you pray about it? Two weeks later, God settled in my heart. As much as I knew that I was supposed to marry, marry uh, I know that I was supposed to go to Kansas Amen. and be an assistant pastor there no question in my heart and mind, the time that I served there. Then God directed and led and brought me through a myriad of circumstances. I don't have time to tell you, but brought me to Baltimore and uh, to Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And I, I believe without question that I'm called. But the way God directed me is just one step at a time. God said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Here's where I want you This is how I want you to serve. This is what you're going to do. And uh, I mean, you guys know for two years I put it off. But, uh, (laughs) um, you know, I I believe in that. But Paul knew that he was called. We need men today that know what they believe. Boy, they can't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that's out there. There's so much, so many things are under attack today. If you stand on anything today, you're going to be attacked. And then if you don't stand, you're attacked for that too, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh a pastor friend of mine, I don't remember the details, but uh it was funny because I I watched his Facebook feed and and some people were attacking him for something that he did and I can't remember like let's just say having services when people were sick or something. I don't know what it was, but and and then like 6 months later they had a, you know, a bunch of people in church and sick and he says, hey, we're not going to have services tonight. Everybody needs to stay home. And then a bunch of people on Facebook were attacking him for have, not having services because there's people sick. You know? It's like it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. You see, you just got to know what you believe and know you're doing what God wants. Right. There's going to be people that aren't that aren't happy either way. But ultimately, we, we do what we do for an audience of one. That's, right. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when somebody knows that they're called of God, they can preach the truth of the word of God. Uh, And at the end, let God take care of it for him. They need to know what they believe. And we need men today who are not concerned about building a personal legacy, but are concerned about lives of other people. It's not about building a big crowd or trying to get a a name for yourself or or get your name in the sword of the Lord or, or get your... Uh, your name published in, out there so everybody knows who you are it's about serving God and I pray and, and we all ought to pray the prayer of Jabez where we say Lord enlarge my coast allow me to do more for you if it's inside of your scope and will for me God I will do it and I've, I've told the Lord if he'll give me an opportunity to preach then I, provided it's, it's a right place I won't turn it down now there was a big, in, in India, there was a big neo-evangelical church. They ran about three and a half thousand. And uh, while I was in India, they wanted me to come and preach. And I said, I can't do it. Uh, because they didn't believe like we believe. And I, would, I could not put my stamp of approval on that. Uh, so you got to, uh, you know, draw the line and do what's right. But uh, it's not about just getting a name for yourself. We need pastors that care about people. Yes. Leaders that love the Lord's people and are looking to try and help Help them. And we see that evident in Paul's life here. Pastors who realize truly how dangerous it is to impart the wrong information. The wrong information when dealing with eternal things. This is what's vitally important. This has been an introduction this evening to the book of Galatians, give you a little bit bit of background and introduction to Paul, who is the author. And we're going to walk through this verse by verse in the coming weeks and see what lessons the Lord has for us.